Friends, we're continuing on in this series we've been at in this year about kind of moving from here to there and all of the different questions that kind of come up that sometimes prevent us from really feeling like we're able to do it. And last week we started kind of just digging deep into one story, the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. It's found in Judges 6 through 8. We looked at the beginning part of the story, and Gideon is this young farmer, and the people of God, who are Israel, the nation of Israel, are being oppressed, and they are being oppressed for seven years by their enemies, all because they were disobedient to God, and God actually says to them, but you did not listen to me. And so drastic measures are taken to get through to his people, and Gideon is trying to provide for his family. And last week we saw that he is actually at work, he's secretly threshing grain in a wine press. Now a wine press was like a little sunken hole where they would crush the grapes and try to extract the juice for or the juice of the grapes for juice or wine or, or other substances. So they had converted this into a threshing floor, and the threshing floor was usually a place where they would be hitting the grain and trying to loosen the husks so that you could get the seeds out. And then once the threshing was done, then they would take these giant forks and they would throw it up in the air, and that's that image of the wheat separating from the chaff, that the light little bits of the wheat would float away on the wind and the seeds would fall to the earth. So he's trying to do this in secret because their enemies were taking all their food. And that's where Gideon is at. And this is where the Lord appears to him. Now at first it says a messenger of the Lord, probably some kind of angel appears, and then it says the Lord himself appears to Gideon. And that scares Gideon, because when you're face to face with God, it had said, none may see the Lord and live. And he thought he was going to die. And God says, no, you're not going to die. I actually have this other plan in store for you. And that just blew his mind already. And God says to him, the Lord, go in the strength you have. Now Gideon has been in this place of survival that we mentioned for many years. And so he asks these questions of God. He says, are you here, Lord? He's not sure that it's really the Lord. It's been so long. And then he says, oh, you're, you're asking me to do this? Can I do this? And then when the Lord says, yes, you can. And then he goes, well, how can I be sure? And then he finally comes to that place where the Lord answers him each time and leads him to where God wants him. And what we said last week is that what God is trying to do with Gideon is for Gideon to start to believe and see himself as God sees him already. And actually, that's the hope that we have for each one of us, that we would be able to see ourselves as God already sees us being more than we think we can be. You know, sometimes I'm critical of myself. I might go home even after, um, after we're here on a Sunday and I'll think about all the things that I could have said better or, you know, I could have I praised better. I could have moved better, you know. You know, I, I don't really have a lot of good movement, but all of the, you know, you, we get down on ourselves and sometimes we don't think that we have this great strength or ability. And God says, go in the strength you have. 
and I'll be with you, and I'll lead you, and I'll help you do what I have planned for you. It's amazing. And with a strength that Gideon wasn't aware of, um, a strength that God will utilize for him, he actually takes the step of building an altar to the Lord. He wants to give thanks. He makes an offering to God. And he calls that place where he builds this altar, does anyone remember? The place, it's called Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. And that's that place that God wants to bring us to, that place of shalom where we are we have a sense of wholeness and completeness. And one of the reasons that God wants us to bring us to that place is because that is the place where he can most start to work with us. See, when we're not in that place, I'll speak for myself. When I'm not in that place, you can think about your own self, I have trouble hearing God because I'm thinking about me or I'm thinking about what I can't do or the troubles that I'm having. But God has this desire to show us what we can do in him and through him and with him. And this is a similar kind of work that we see God at work in Gideon that he is bringing about in each one of us who wants to seek the truth and commits to walking with him. Gideon has finally started to see himself as God sees him. Here's the but. But in order for, yeah, you know, sometimes there is a but, yes. There's a, in the Bible, there's, there's often a, yeah, there's, there's this little word that we don't always like. And here's the problem. See, he's just built this altar to the Lord. But we also know that God has said in his word that he's a jealous God. He will not compete with anyone else. And there are things in Gideon's life that in order for him to move further along with God in this new way must be addressed. He has this young kind of maybe shaky or rekindled faith and he needs to learn to trust God. So this morning I want to highlight just two of those lessons. They're on the back of your bulletin. One of them is a hard lesson. They're both lessons that we need to hear as well. The first is a hard lesson. And the second is a hopeful lesson, all right? Let me read Judges 6, verses 25 through 32. And the air keeps blowing my Bible open to another page. There we go. Starting in verse 25, chapter 6. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded But he did it at night, because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. It's like stealing your dad's car and saying, well, God told me to, you know. He's he's doing it in the middle of the night. He's he's scared. This is is serious business, because everyone in town 
was a worshiper of Baal, a competing god. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, some discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. Maybe your dad's classic car sitting there in pieces. That would not have gone over too well. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. Here's an amazing part. But Joash shouted to the mob, this is his dad, shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerob Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. There are lessons that we need to hear and respond to if we are to move further on the path that God has us on. And this first lesson is a hard one. And it's this, God will reveal what to remove. And if you want to make it even more personal, you could add a few words, and God will reveal to you what to remove in your life if you want to keep moving forward with God. And this is a hard lesson because we don't like to hear it. Just as I am. God, he takes me just as I am. There's even a song that we sing, just as I am. And yes, that's true. God does accept us as we are. And he loves us too much, we've said this before, to leave us that way. He's continually doing a work in us that he wants to see through to completion. Now, in this town, Baal was a big deal. Baal was actually the god of rains and harvest. So for an agricultural people, this was no small god to them. For God's people, in times when rains faltered and harvests were weak, Offering sacrifices and worshiping Baal was a constant temptation to them. Well, God isn't coming through for us. Maybe Baal will. He's the God of harvests. You know, I didn't get quite as much in last year into my storehouse. Maybe Baal can do better. Baal was actually pictured as a bull, which was a symbol of strength and virility. Worship of Baal actually involved prostitution and building strong stone altars. And it was something that would continue to tempt God's people all through the Old Testament. This combination of idolatry to Baal and the sexual sins associated with worship was a constant attraction and temptation for them. Now Asherah, those Asherah poles that were next to these altars, Asherah was the goddess of wood, represented as a tree or a pole that was placed next to the altar. So when God tells Gideon, tear down that altar of Baal and build me an altar, 
and then tear down that tree, that Asherah pole that's standing next to it, why do you think God would want him to do that as well? Anyone have a thought? Why would God not like that Asherah pole next to his altar? Yeah, he's the only God we serve. There is no God and fill in the blank. I know they even sell shirts that say God and and a whole bunch of things. Actually, God probably doesn't really care for those shirts because God actually doesn't have anything next to him. It's only God. That's it. Let me read Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. When we've looked at the Ten Commandments, you'll know some of these verses. It says, You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Ouch, that's hard to hear. But I lavish, here's the good news, unfailing love. There's that word. What's that word? Chesed. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. It's clear that the Lord will not compete with anything, especially with other false gods. Keeping other gods on standby like God's people had been doing was not going to fly. And it never flew. They just never really got the message very well. Because keeping those other gods on standby would always be a temptation to pull them backward instead of being able to walk forward with God. So the Lord tells Gideon exactly what he needs to remove in his own household, in his own backyard, you know, the, the junk drawer that we all have at home that you just stuff things in or that back little room that you throw everything when someone's going to come over. Well, some of you do that, but some don't. Um, you know, God, he knows exactly what we need to do. Yes, we, I'll admit it. We have a room like that. It was looking really pretty this past fall when both of our parents were staying with, you know, spent time with us, and now it's just turned into the storage room, you know? God knows exactly what it is that we need to remove In our own lives, our households, what's rotting in our backyards. And this sin requires immediate removal, especially in the case of Gideon, if he is to move forward in the way that God has told him he will. Now for Gideon in this this story, it's easy for us to see what Gideon needs to remove. You know, it's out there in the open. This is not covert. This is overt. Everybody can see because everybody was doing it. Tearing down idols and breaking down that pole because it stood in competition with God. But what about those things that are not easily seen? Those things that we tried to hide in the junk drawers of our heart. What might be seen or what we might call as covert sin or hidden idolatry. In the Bible, actually, Jesus addresses this. In Luke 8, he gives that famous parable of the lamp. Let me read a couple of verses of 
what Jesus says. He says, no one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. This is the verse that always gets me. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. It's just three verses, and it's some of the most convicting verses. I mean, there's a lot of convicting verses in the Bible, but they're not meant to make us feel terrible and worse. Yeah, we should feel a little bit of guilt, but they're meant to actually spur us to follow God even more, to aim higher to what God knows we are capable of and what we can do and be when we walk with him. If we try to hide, eventually it will be aired. And as a TV show recently said, the cover-up is usually worse than the crime. So many public failures that we see, whether it's on TV or read about it in the news, or even think about it in our own lives, power, sex, money, corruption, you name it, rest on this. What happens in secret or in the dark is always known and seen by God. We don't like to think about it, that eventually it comes to light. Friends, don't be dismayed. This is actually the work of God through the Holy Spirit to reveal what is hidden and concealed so that we can walk in faith and in confidence that who God has called you to be is attainable and you are able because he has said so. When God reveals what Gideon must remove. He's able to do so because he has finally come to this place where he's humble, he's dependent on God, and he he understands that, yes, okay, God actually can lead me, and now I'm in a place where I can finally listen to him. I can listen without getting huffy or offended or mad or more resistant. Have you ever tried to speak truth to someone who's not yet ready to hear it. Maybe we could look up, we could just hold a mirror up and probably look in the mirror because often that's, that's you or I. Yeah, it doesn't go too well. When someone isn't ready to hear truth, rarely will speaking the truth prompt a positive reaction. But I guess that's how God feels when he speaks truth and then tells his people, but you have not listened to me. He did this over and over in the Bible. Sometimes we aren't ready to hear the truth either, that there are things in our life pulling us away from following the Lord. We are involved in unhealthy patterns. There are people, there are products. And yes, in this season, there are even politics that will draw us away from following the Lord. Anything or anyone can be a snare and a temptation to go backwards away from being the person God knows you can be. Why is it that moving forward is so tough sometimes? Like it feels like we just have to put so much more effort into it. Might it be because of the things that we're holding on to too tightly? Or the things that have chained themselves to our leg, making it difficult to walk? And walk slowly 
and make the progress that God really wants us to make. So I want to throw a couple of questions out there this morning, some simple, honest questions, questions that we have to humbly ask of ourselves because if we want to get to the hopeful lesson, we have to go through the hard lesson. This is one of those biblical principles that keeps showing up time and time again. We like the hope, we like the joy, we like the triumph, but often we have to do the first part to get the second part. First question, what am I holding on to that keeps me from becoming who God already knows I can be? What have you been holding on to that's keeping you from moving forward? If we're honest, there's probably a bunch of things that we could write down or put in the catalog of our, of our mind. It's not that hard to think about. And the second question is like it. What needs to be knocked down, cut out, or removed in my life so that I can walk forward with Jesus in true freedom and joy? What needs to be knocked down, cut out, or removed? Forgetting it was obvious, God tells him directly, this is what you got to do. And you're going to have to do something that's going to create some tension in your family and in your town right away. It's going to maybe put you on the outs with people who know you. But friends, I want you to trust that God will reveal what it is that he wants to remove in you. Will this process, will this cleanup stir things up in your life? You better believe it. Will it raise dust and reveal more work? If you've ever done any kind of home improvement projects, you know that when you start, you tear one thing out, you realize, oh man, I got five other problems. Yeah, it will probably create more work for you. But it's the best kind of work. It's the work that leads us closer to God and further with Christ. Might it cause pain? Perhaps. Following Jesus will always change us to be more like him. And friends, change is hard. Let's not sugarcoat it. Change is hard. It's a hard lesson to hear, but it's necessary if we want to move to the rest of the story. What's the rest of the story? If the first was the hard lesson, the second is a hopeful lesson that we should also want to hear. Let me read the second half of chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 33. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian... Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel. And they crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezar came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And what happened? That is just what happened. God gave him exactly what he asked for. 
When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and he wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Think he's ready yet? Not quite yet. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. Let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. God doing what only God can do, and then God doing the opposite, what a God can only do. Confirming to Gideon what he wanted Gideon to do. What is this hopeful lesson? God remains patient with open hearts. That's the catch. Open hearts. God remains patient with open hearts. And you've probably heard people, or maybe you yourself have done it, people talking about putting out fleeces for the Lord to figure out His will. God, send me a sign so I know what you want. Or maybe you've done it yourself, like I did when I didn't know what I was doing. And saying, okay, God, where will you send us? And the next day in the mail, a letter came and said, I'm sending you to Mississippi. And I'm like, Mississippi? It was not just me, it was us. It was a fleece that we'd put up for the Lord. It was before I actually understood what Gideon was actually doing in this process. See, I didn't know my Bible very well back then, but I do know that in Deuteronomy 6.16, it says, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. That was something he had told the Israelites. So we want to ask God for a sign, but we're not supposed to test God. So what do we do? Well, when we read further in Deuteronomy, we learn that actually that test was about they were grumbling. They didn't really care what God was doing. They just wanted what they wanted. They didn't care or trust God. Their hearts weren't even in the right place. This is, I think, the, the heart of the matter. This is the kind of testing that God does not want us to do. The kind of test when our heart is already made up. When our will is already made up and we just want to seek a sign to confirm what we want to do in the first place. And friends, this is hard because we want to do what we want to do many times. Here, Gideon tests God with this wet, dry fleece test, and God allows it. What do you think is different? Why does God allow this test? When previously he said, don't test me. Anyone have any thoughts or guesses as to why God would allow this particular test? To show him that he can trust in him, yeah. That's part of it. You know, he's just revealed himself to Gideon. I think that that, that is part of the answer, yeah. I think it's what you said about the open heart. It's, the, the, the open heart? This, this is not a, I dare you to. This is a, I think I'm hearing you right. Can you confirm it for me? I think I'm hearing you right. Can I confirm it? I want to, yeah, I, I think, I think that, you know, kind of a combination of those two. You know, the Gideon, he's already heard what God wants him to do. He's already heard the will of God. 
There's no question about what God actually wants him to do. But he is. He's trying to seek to confirm it in some way. He's not quite sure. Like, God, were you speaking clearly? Is this really what you want? I believe his heart is in the right place. I believe he does this out of desire to know God more deeply because he wants to be able to trust God. Years of hardship and self-sufficiency, threshing grain in secret had set in. And it takes time and effort to break free of that survival mentality. Friends, God remains patient with open hearts. And to me, that sounds like good news. Because it means that as long as our hearts are open and we seek to have open hearts, God will remain patient with us. That if we continue to seek the face of God, He remains patient with us. Just as we sing that song, slow to anger, Rich in love. Seeking the face of God is the surest way to follow him. Psalm 32, verse 8 to 9 says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. We like that verse. And then he follows it up with this verse. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. What's it like when you've got a stubborn horse? Does it like to do what you want it to do? No. How hard do you have to work? Pretty hard. Your mom has to chase him. Yeah, when you've got a stubborn horse, it's hard to to lead it in the way that you're trying to get it to go. God says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Instead, I will guide you. Let me lead you. Take out that bit and bridle. Let me control you. May we work to develop that heart to follow the Lord. Because when our hearts are open, those are hearts that God can continue to mold and shape. Hearts that can be led. Now God can and will use signs to help us. Signs can be a source of strength to help you walk further in your faith. They can help you strengthen your resolve. They can help you calm your fears. But signs can also become snares that cause you to slip. Just like the Pharisees, always wanting to see a sign or people who would flock to Jesus wanting to see a show. Do something amazing. Show us a sign. I don't think it's wrong to ask God for help or wisdom or the ability to discern the next steps in our life. But I think he is looking for us to move beyond simple fleece tests. He's saying, trust me. Let me lead you. And I will lead you on the best path for your life. In Mark 8, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign. And it's, it's so interesting. As soon as they do this, it's like Jesus knows what their intentions are. Let me read verses 8 through 11. Actually, 11 and 12. It says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show the miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Do you think that if he had shown a sign to prove his authority, that they would actually have followed him? I'm not sure. 
He already had. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced that they would have actually then said, oh, that's the kicker, I'm going to follow you now. Because something was wrong with their hearts. Jesus said, when he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Can you imagine Jesus just going, like the disappointed parent or something? And he said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So there, he is the sign. He's not going to give another sign. But then later on in John 20, it says the exact opposite thing. Oh no, what is going on with the Bible? Verse 27 and and 28. After Jesus has risen from the dead, there's one of his disciples who wasn't with him, Thomas, and he says, I'm not going to believe unless I poke his fingers and put my hand in his side. I don't think the sound effect was there. Maybe it was. But it said he put his hand and finger into the wound, so maybe there was some sound effect. I'm not sure. Thomas needs more convincing that it is Jesus who has risen. And Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. As soon as he was at that place, Jesus allows him to touch his wounds. Thomas is scared. But I don't think, I think he gets a bad rap when we call him Doubting Thomas. His heart is open and willing. He wants to follow. He just needs that little reassurance. Thank goodness for him. Exactly. Exactly. When our hearts are truly open, friends, we are finally able to listen, learn, and act upon the voice of God. And that's an amazing thing because it allows you to respond to the word that God has already spoken over your life. A word of truth, a word of power, a word of confidence, a word that says, go with the strength you have. Do you believe that God actually believes that about you? You should because he's already said it. His word is true. Go in the strength you have. I am making you able. Now, you might wonder if God is going to get on with his work. Second Peter, this is the last verse, says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Praise the Lord. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, because with that step, it allows you to walk into all that God has promised for you. My sisters and brothers, continue to seek the Lord. Listen to his voice. Work to remove anything that is hindering your progress. That's hard work. And know that God will lead you with the same patience that he showed to Gideon and to all who come to him with open hearts. And friends, that is always good and hopeful news that we need to hear. Let's pray. Father God, we seek your face again in this moment. Will you see our willing and open hearts? Will you soften and break down our resistances? Give us the courage to believe that the strength you see in us is always enough as we walk with you. 
Jesus, I pray now for your church that your spirit would fill us with mighty power to love and serve your world and your people in your ways and by your will. Will you sustain each person here this morning and for the days to come? Provide for their every need and remind us once again that we are totally dependent on you, O God. We offer this prayer now in the hope and certainty of your goodness and greatness, and we ask in humility that you would receive our worship once again. As we sing, may the joyful refrain of your church be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. We offer this prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.